Hey everybody, welcome back to The Collective. We have another fantastic show for you planned out today. I'm very excited. We got Dr. Gino in the house. Alan's joining us while he's cleaning his camera. Dude, it my is... window needs cleaning as well. Yeah, you like you can come over my and give car a little spit shine. My car could use a wash. Good times. Um, it is Ask the Coach Day 5. Now, I am very excited. Y'all should be very excited. Hit the like button, subscribe to the channel, hit the notification bell, that way you are getting the emails every day that we go live which is of course every day now if you have any thoughts or questions by all means put them up in the question uh in the comment section so we can engage them directly other than that I actually just kind of like this one right here winterstorm good morning the collective coaches and all good morning winterstorm good to see you um now we have some direct questions here but before i get into them any thoughts anything Yes, I didn't plan on doing this, but because Winter Storm just hopped in, I wanted to give him a shout out because he started his own little podcast. Hey, what? More to follow. More to follow. Good job, buddy. There you go. Keep cracking it on. Cody says, good day, everybody. Excited for today's talk. Me as well. All right, if you guys are good to go, we'll jump into the first question. How do you guys feel? Good? All right, here it comes. With regards to uh, progress, personal development, uh, moving forward, uh, we talk about failure uh, as a requirement for growth, uh, as a requirement for development and goal setting. Um, what is the one failure that you don't regret ever having made and uh, what was it about that failure that uh, allowed you to grow beyond where you thought you might have been. Uh, and the other one is, what is the one failure that you think most people should avoid um, when driving forward uh, for either goals or standard, uh, exceeding standards, um, right, setting standards? Uh, again, thank you for your time. Thank you for taking the question. And uh, I look forward to your answer. There we go. I am going to come to... Gino first. What do you think? So in general, at a personal level, start with, start with personal. Okay. And then we can see if we can get into general after that, man. So the, the, there's a lot, a lot of failures. I don't, I don't regret. I'm, I'm really thankful for all of them to be quite honest with you. Um, getting to a place of being broken. Um, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, I've been there, um, many times and by all accounts from a professional standard and standard, I carry it myself and expectation management I have of myself, though it's an absolute failure, but at the same token, it's when I've produced my best work. It's, it's when I have opened myself to the possibilities of what could be, um, by hitting the bottom of the barrel, it's a whole lot easier to look up. Right. When you have no, no place to go, but up. Right. So when I say that, I mean it in a very genuine sense, the, the idea of failure in my life um, and carrying what I feel like is the weight of the world because consuming and absorbing so much energy from folks that I have the privilege of serving and working with in a, in a mental capacity an emotional capacity, psychological capacity, it is a skill set and a half to learn how not to absorb that energy. Right. It's very, very difficult um, to be able to create a wall. Right. Because at the same time, it's the destruction of that wall that breeds connection and you need connection to actually do the work with somebody. So making sure that my eyes are dotted and my teeth are crossed um, at an emotional, psychological, physical and spiritual level. It is a battle and a half and I fail at I, I do fail at it <laughs> many, many a time and I continue to fail at it. So I think for me, that's but I don't regret it by any stretch of the imagination. I'm grateful for it. But um it's uh it's a constant constant battle every single day as someone that serves in a coaching capacity and also someone who's an advisory capacity to also know that i'm fighting my own demons i'm fighting my own battles right at the same time and uh, a lot of people whenever they're that guy or that person they like to put on the facade that they don't have those demons too or perhaps they were something of the past when in reality all of us are dealing with them every single day interesting alan what are your thoughts? How do you follow up on that? Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I, I feel the exact same way. There's, um, I don't have regrets. 
um, any regrets, actually. I've, I've made mistakes, and I've taken those mistakes and used them as, as learning tools. Um, as a, from an athletic perspective, like a competitive perspective, one of the best lessons that I learned was at the 2000 Pan Ams, my first time competing as a blue belt. And there was 68 people in my division. Um, I went to the first one, tapped them out. Second one, tapped them out. Third one, tapped them out. Fourth one, tapped them out. And I was just on a roll. Uh, I was kicking ass and I was just so high on that. And then I ended up fighting Hodger Gracie and I lost. But I think that if I would have gone through, if it had been him, it had been somebody else, um, I don't think I would have given nearly as much work and effort that I would have given coming back. So I, I absolutely feel and I'm thankful for that loss because that made me understand that, you know, the levels that you have to, um, that you have to confront are going to be way different depending on the person. So yes, he was a blue belt, but he also had been training longer than I even knew what Brazilian Jiu Jitsu was twice as long. And he's been training since he was a child. I'd been training for three years, you know, so that gave me that really good perspective of understanding, you know, that, you know, even though you're doing really well, you could always do better. And there's always more to, you know, more to achieve when you have that understand when you, when you don't have that understanding, you, you feel like, well, I'm at this level and this is where I need to stay at. And you start to plateau versus if you have that, that pain of failure, it's a constant reminder and it it's fuel. It really is fueled for you to achieve more, to put more effort into what you're doing um, to buckle down and just really push to your limits that you never even thought that you had. So for me on an athletic level, that was one of my best experiences that I could have definitely ever, ever achieved and, or gone through, you know, experienced. Absolutely. Sean, thoughts? Oh, I've had so many. It's ridiculous. The, the book that I would like to write about all of the failures that I've had, I'd probably fail writing the book as well. So that's how many failures I've had. Um, I think a standout moment for me as a failure was, uh, and it was an important failure because I managed to, um, learn from it in a way that really uh, set me up for the next phase of my life. So this was when I was, um, racing, uh, ultra endurance races, 24 hour solo mountain bike races. It was my last world championship that I was racing at. And at that point, I'd done 30 24-hour solos and a ridiculous amount of 12 hours and 6 hours and 8 hours and all of the hours uh, races as well. So I'd done a lot of racing, and uh, I at that point, I was already a world champion, and I'd competed at some other worlds and, and had decent results. But this one, I put a lot of time into it. I was training over 20 hours uh, a week uh, on the saddle. Uh, leading up to this race and, and I was feeling fit, motivated, focused. I felt like I was going to crush it. And uh, I got on to, uh, it was down in Weaverville, California uh, that year. I got down to the race course and the day before the race kind of thing, they'd uh, radically adjusted the race terrain, the, the, the course. And so the course was freaking boring. Uh, what they'd done is they'd taken out a lot of the technical, a lot of the shredding, uh, that a mountain biker would want to ride. Uh, I like technical. I like, I like riding a mountain bike on mountain biking terrain, not a mountain bike on a dusty road. And a chunk of that course was dusty road. And it was a lot of dusty road climbing. And it just, it wasn't working for my head. I was seven, eight, nine hours into it. And I thought, if I do another lap on this bike, it's, it's bugging me so much right now that if I just do one more lap, not only will I quit, I'll never ride a bike again. That's how much it was in my head. And so I quit. I quit in a world championship about a third of the way through the race, only eight hours in. How embarrassing. Really lame. It's not like I had an injury. It's not like I didn't have the juice. I could have finished the race for sure, but I, I would have finished it and hated racing. And so I quit. 
Now that's really hard for me to quit because I'm not a quitter. I don't consider myself a quitter. I don't title myself a quitter. So first things first, it freaking stuck a, 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 a V42 blade right between my ribs. And, and, and I couldn't pull that blade out for many, many months. Worse yet, I had athletes that were down there with me, that I was their coach, that they were also competing in. And it's not like they looked to me for all of the solutions, or it's not like they looked at me as the man, but I had a reputation and I carried myself a certain way and they had expectations of me. And I failed them in that moment because I didn't live up to my potential as it were. So a bit hypocritical in the sense of I was not only asking my athletes, but I was demanding peak performances out of them. But a third of the way into the race, I quit. And then the other piece that was really hard was um, in the fallout of that, the days afterwards, I had to really kind of think, what, what is even going on? Why did I quit that? I could have finished it, but there's something here that's really at its core. I need to figure out why I quit. And I think it was just simply a case of 30, 24 hour solo races is a lot. Ask around. It's not that common. And so I'd just been in the game, I think, too long. And I'd probably stayed in the game too long because I felt that that's who I was. I was a 24 hour solo mountain bike champion. I was this, I was that. And my ego had bought into a title and the title had determined this is what I always do. And I wasn't listening to myself. I wasn't listening to inside of me. When I finally listened to myself and quit, then I had to deal with, again, all of this ego fallout, the emotional, psychological, physiological adjustments that I had to make. But looking back, you know, it wasn't easy that day, the next day, a week later, a month later. But looking back later, I managed to get a sense of, I should have probably quit a race or two before that. I probably wasn't fully in the game the way that I needed to be in the game to represent myself the way I wanted to represent myself. And so it was a blessing in disguise for sure. But man, it was one of the hardest things I've had to do uh, personally. And, and it sounds dumb. Quitting in a race is a hard thing to do. Well, it is for me. And I'm not saying that anyone out there who's done a lot of hard things in their life that on paper seem way, way harder than what I'm talking about. And on paper, I've got stuff that I could write down that looks way, way harder than what I'm talking about that I didn't quit in. All I'm focusing on now is a thing that I quit that I shouldn't have quit, but was the right call in the moment. And it takes time to figure that stuff out. Absolutely. Um, I, I have a question, but I want to hit on some of these comments real quick, and then we can dive further into this a little bit. Um, Satch, good morning, team. Excited for this one. Uh, Terminal City Training says, uh, Hodger Gracie will bring us face-to-face -face with failure. I think really any of the Gracies will. <laughs> and then uh, there's this really great comment, and I think it touches on all of your guys' points here. It says, Cody says, failure is the seed of growth as it teaches us valuable lessons, fosters resilience, and provides the opportunity for self-discovery. It's through our setbacks and challenges that we often find the strength to overcome, adapt, and ultimately flourish. And it, it seems from everything you guys are talking about that it's really, it, you know, in hindsight, being able to look at it in hindsight and go, oh yeah, well, that was, this was a benefit in the long run. But what, I'm, what I want to ask about is in the moment when, like, Sean, when you quit, <laughs> like that moment and uh gino when you said you know you hit that rock bottom or when you tapped at the match alan like in those moments do you think what kind of lesson could you look back on now from that instant of just like oh okay i'm done what what did you learn from that singular moment alan i'm gonna start with you uh so be honest with you that at that moment, I mean, it was catastrophic. I mean, I, I just ran through, you know, four other opponents. I was on such a streak and such a high and literally just all came crashing down at once, you know, once, but it, it wasn't just a mental 
experience. It was also a physical one that, you know, at the same time, that was real painful as well. Cause I try to hang out as long as I could try to sneak my arm out. And, and he got me from a simple arm bar from guard. And it was just one of those things where like, it was such a disappointing experience, you know, in that moment where everything that I'd done had just crashed down and I didn't recognize the value in that yet. It just, it just ate at me. Like, you know, I, I failed. And that, that sting of the failure was, was something that stuck with me. Just like Sean was saying, you know, for, for a while, but at that moment, all I could think about was, was, you know, I lost, I failed. I didn't achieve the goal that I'd set out to do. And I, that, that strive so hard to accomplish. Um, and it was, I didn't recognize the value in it at the time. You know, the only thing I felt was just an overwhelming, you know, pain of loss. Yeah. It was, it wasn't until later that I kind of recognized that. Hmm. Interesting. Gino, what do you, what do you about yourself? You know, I think when it comes to, to, to that side of it, you know, in the moment, I know for me, a, a consistent challenge historically, and as I probably said over the past five to seven years, I've gotten better at this just through work on the self-mastery side, but you feel like an imposter, right? Like you're supposed to be the person that, that can be that lighthouse for people, provide that, that guidance, um, the wisdom, the, the ability to listen and procure certain things to get them to see things a certain way. And what you realize is that moment when you're hitting rock bottom, that moment when you break, you recognize the fact that your self-perception is what's getting rocked. It's not you. It's not your intrinsic worth and your intrinsic value, right? It's the extrinsic expression of what's happening and the fact that the intention is right, right? The alignment is there, but it doesn't mean that you are at a place to truly achieve the level of mastery within yourself to be able to continue to go because you don't have the right fuel and you don't know what, what the right fuel is until you go through a multitude of variations of hitting rock bottom and being broken, right? There's many iterations throughout the life cycle. And once you wrap your head around that, you embrace it. You embrace it a little bit. Like, the first time I experienced that from a professional perspective, man, it rocked me hard. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, am I even the right guy for it? Am I even in the right place? Like, this doesn't, and as time has gone on, you find comfort and confidence and belief that no, I am. But at the same token, this is a, it's a marathon, right? It's not a sprint. By no stretch of the imagination is a sprint. You're going to trip. You're going to skin up your knees. You're going to break some bones. All of it comes, it's part of it, right? And I wouldn't be authentic and I wouldn't be doing the people that I'm called to serve any good if I didn't go through those battles, if I didn't go through those trip ups, if I didn't go through those failures and continuously feeling what it feels like to be broken, to rebuild and break and rebuild, break and rebuild mm -hmm. and go through that process. Long winded answer, man. Sorry. No, it's all good. <laughs> I have a follow up question after this, but uh, Sean, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I had a small advantage in that moment uh, that perhaps I'll, I'll compare it against uh, Alan's uh, experience. And uh, I think that my advantage was um, I'd already been in a bunch of careers at that point, and I'd already had a number of successes and a number of losses, we'll call them wins and failures, uh, so that I understood how to deal with these kind of things. But on a personal level, which was the question personally, it this one really stung because I just didn't like being thinking. I didn't like to think of myself as a quitter, as it were, uh, quitting on myself, quitting on my team, quitting on everything, quit, quit, quit. I just, I'm not good with that. And so that was a, that was a moment that I had to process. Uh, but here's, here's the difference between Alan and I now. Um, and, and this is an unfair advantage, but it was an unfair advantage gained over decades of failures. So the moment that I failed in that, uh, situation, I lean my bike up against a pit tent or against the uh, race area, uh, against a, a canopy tent. And I looked at uh, uh, the people around me and I said, and I'm now in coach mode. And so I went from racer to coach in the blink of an eye. So for the, for the remaining 16 hours of the race, I simply coached all of the athletes that I was there responsible for and to race alongside of. So, I didn't have to process the moment too deeply 
because I switched my focus to the athletes who were still in the game. And uh, it was only days and weeks later that I got to deeply sink into that processing. But in the moment, I managed to duck out of deeply thinking about it because I switched focuses to coaching a coach. Whereas Alan, when he was in the blue belt uh, phase of his life, he probably didn't have enough jujitsu coaching under his belt to kind of fail in that moment and then look over to see, okay, now I'm going to go over and start coaching my white belts that I'm responsible for. So he didn't have that convenient distraction to switch gears over to doing something uh, positive like I did, uh, coaching athletes versus standing there thinking, oh, no, I just quit. Now I'm going to spend the rest of my day thinking about that deeply, if that makes sense. The reason I'm going down this lane, you know, is really because I think from my perspective, when I fail at something and I, I've heard this from a lot of other people, it, it is, you know, derailing any, any sort of thought pattern that you had, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do those things and blah, blah, blah. And then failure happens. And then it's just like, it implodes, life implodes. And we sometimes will look to other people, look to our, um, our idols or our, the people that we respect or our mentors and we'll see them talk about failure, but never really connect the two. And so I just wanted to really bring this home. Now I want to ask if you could go back there now with all of your knowledge, with all of the things, if you had a similar incident happen to somebody else right in front of you, what would you tell them? Gino, I'm going to start with you. What do you think? <clears throat> huh. a few things right so first i would say embrace it right embrace it and truly understand and embody the fact that it's part of the process it kind of reminds me of <clears throat> plato's cave allegory right and this idea of perception right and and the importance of understanding that what you feel is a failure right if you just change the perception a few degrees right you can really embody the fact that it's a learning and a growth opportunity. And that's exactly the motivation that you need to get to that next level. It sounds great, <laughs> right? But when you're talking about the emotions that are involved with not having appropriate management of expectations of that self-perception in that moment in time, that hits, right? Because that's how the brain works. The brain works off of expectations. That's how standards are set. That's how we have, get, that's how we get to this ability of looking at ourselves and what our competencies are and what our competencies are not. So I would definitely say, embrace it. The second thing that I would say is <clears throat> the process of going from point A to point B, right? Very seldomly is a straight line. Very seldomly, right? It's the most efficient way, but none of us <laughs> often take the most efficient way. And all the loops and the curves and the circles that come along with it going from point A to point B, which undoubtedly will happen, there's value in that, right? So embrace the value of it. Don't chalk it up to a complete way. Not. Um, but then also lean into the curve of failure. You have to lean into it. If you try to sit there and, and be in denial about it, right, or make excuses for it, uh, you're, you're missing the whole purpose and the whole point, right? Mm -hmm. Embrace it. All of us, I don't care how awesome someone seems, um, have gone through it. And it really is a question of how you're going to deal with it because it's going to happen again and again and again. It, it's, it's a guarantee. Absolutely. Alan, what do you think? Uh. So if I had a chance to talk to myself again in, in that perspective as me as a coach instead, um, very similar to, you know, what Gina was talking about, uh, it would have been more of a, a understanding that this is a hole in your game and be thankful that someone called you out on that now because now you know what to work on. You can close up that gap and for me, the one thing that I can say is my first large tournament was the, the Pan Ams, but every single competition that I've had since, and I've been in, in the triple digits of competitions, not once have I ever got caught armbar from the guard again. You know, anytime that I get caught in something, it's never happened again. And so that's the, the it, it, again, if I had that experience, you know, as a coach now kind of talking to my young self, that would have been the, the primary focus is guess what? You're going to work on this so hard and let it sting so bad that nothing ever is going to happen like that again. And that's what you should be really thankful for.
because now it pinpoints exactly where you need to work on, you know, because someone literally showed you exactly. And it's a painful reminder, but it's a good thing because it lasts and it, and it lasts and it motivates you to the point where if, if I don't want to feel that again, I need to work on this. You know, same thing with, you know, I, um, there was a guy that, you know, I fought Roma, um, uh, Roel, man, I forgot his last name now, Martinez or something like that. Um, but um, he was playing this half guard game that literally was just, I call it the fight and fetal because he was not, you know, just latched onto my leg and wasn't doing much at all. And, but it was enough to stump my game. And from that point on, like I was working half guard for like nine months, you know, just to make sure Jimenez, Roel Jimenez, sorry. And um, that's what really kind of got to me. So that lesson that I learned early on, you know, I was making sure that it was never going to happen again. And that is what makes you a complete, you know, competitor, you know, finding out what your, your downfalls are, what your weaknesses are and work on them so much that they never happen again. And that's how you complete your game. I like that. John, what are your thoughts? Well, like Alan said, it's got a sting and oh boy, my ass was on fire in that world championship. <laughs> I was on fire, man. It, it's the, the sting has never left. I can still feel the sting now of, of that quitting and that's good. That's a, that's a gift now. I mean, then it, my, my, my hair was on fire, but now I like it. Because it, uh, it reminds me of what quitting means to me and how to process quitting. Because I just didn't understand quitting up until that point, really, uh, in, in that way. Uh, and uh, more importantly, if coach today, this Sean, went back to coach older Sean or younger Sean, I suppose, um, in that moment, I would have just said, hey, grab a seat, let's have a chat and uh, let's figure this thing out. And uh, let me explain to you why this moment is important for you, because someday you're going to be a coach and someday you're going to be able to use this moment to explain the importance of the moment. You're going to be able to explain the things you learned, the things that you wish you would have done different. You would have been able to do it on a live podcast. You would have been able to pass on the wisdom. And so where does wisdom come from? It ain't from a dusty book in my world. Wisdom comes from lived experiences. Dirty boots, not shiny dress shoes, uh, is how I like to live my life. And so the people that I've learned the most from are characters like me, who've been in the dust, failed a bunch of times, and somehow managed to keep it together and keep moving forward to a modicum of success. And so uh, I learned best from uh, young Sean's mistakes and... I wouldn't change a freaking thing. I would just tell that younger Sean to hang on to these moments so in the future you can help other athletes or other people move through through these moments through your wisdom. I like that a lot. Uh, now, I have another uh, video question here, but are there any other thoughts on anything we've gone over so far? Gino, Alan, good to go? All right. Good to go, man. I, I, I should Sean? say this, though. I don't, I don't want to like, I don't want to like casually say, Hey, you know what? When you fail, it's cool. It's fun. <laughs> Enjoy. You're going to learn from it. Don't worry. You're going to be twice the human that you are the, when you wake up in the morning. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it freaking sucks. Failure sucks. So please nobody out there get it twisted that Sean is stoked for the amount of failures he's going <laughs> to bang out today. I don't like failure, but I understand how important failure is for this Sean. Sean works better when he's failing and learning, and I don't veer away from failure. But I ain't out there setting up my day like, I need another failure in my day. I've only got 10 so far listed on this piece of paper. I better get an 11th. That's not how I run my life. I just put myself in the mix and fail. Nothing like uh, telling yourself to quick, screw something up. That'll be fun. <laughs> well, probably won't work very well. All right. Um, yeah, so if there's no other thoughts, I'll jump onto this next question. If everybody's good. Cool. Here we go. Hey, coaches of the collective, Corey McGregor here. Question for you. Have you ever considered somebody uncoachable? And why? 
And if you did come across somebody who was uncoachable, did it take you a while to realize that? And then what did you do about it? Look forward to your answer. I mean, we kind of touched on this yesterday, but I think this is a much more specific and uh, specific question. Uh, Sean, you want to start this off? Yeah, sure. And I alluded to it the other day and it's, for me, it's simply this, I don't care how tall or short you are, how old or young, what gender you are. It doesn't, none of that stuff matters to me. If you're a rank amateur, if you're a mega professional, don't care. The only thing I require when someone engages is they got to have passion. They got to, they got to want more for themselves. They got to want to be better because it's not my job to convince them that they're being coached to get better. They got to come in wanting to be better so that I can help them become that through the partnership that we'll create through the teamwork of coach athlete or coach person. And so, uh, all I require is passion. Now someone's uncoachable to me if they're not passionate and that's right from day one, if they show up with no passion, uh, I can maybe point you to another coach. Good luck. Uh, and if they show up to me with passion and then four years later, they've lost the passion. We got to have that talk because it's not my job to keep driving passion into them. Again, all I require is passion and the rest unfolds naturally and they see the outcomes that they want with passion. Uh, but again, without passion, I'm not the right coach. And I look to pass them on to another coach who uh, enjoys uh, uh, dealing with those kind of uh, athletes or people who need coaching or without passion. Interesting. Alan, what do you think? Passion, but for me, more grit. Um, and tr so the hardest people that I've come across to try to coach are, are the ones that are already athletes. The ones that already have like a lot of the um, the different aspects of, especially in jujitsu, you know, where their athletic ability, um, the the to distinguish, be able to distinguish between getting something and getting away with something. So you have these guys that are like just athletic freaks. Their endurance is great. Their strength is great. They've got good mobility, but they, they want to, they're impatient. They want to have the results now. And when you teach them a technique and you're like, you have to do it this way because, and you go through explaining why. And when the response is, yeah, but I, I just did it without doing that. That, that to me kind of like sends me into like another type of coach mode. <laughs> um, that's frustrating to me because uh, from experience, I know, that this will only be temporary and it won't last. So I'm putting all this time and effort into someone that is literally just trying to get away with something. Um, so that's the biggest problem that I find is when people have already a, a, an ability to do the sport and have a, an advantage doing it and they feel they can take shortcuts and one of two things will happen. Either one, they will, realize that they'll hit that wall and that wall is what they need to hit hard to really, you know what? I got away with this for so long, but then I, I, I fought somebody that's my size, just as much, as much ability as me, but my, but their technique was better. They need to hit that wall to realize that because even with the coaching that I give, you know, they're, if they get away with it all the time, they have no need to listen or, or B, they just get so frustrated and they quit, which is okay with me too, because I don't want to waste time either. I got plenty of other athletes I could get to, but it's, it's the getting it or getting away with it that I really focus on with a lot of the guys that frustrate me, um, with having that natural talent and ability, um, for the sports, for the specific sports, the same thing in like Olympic weightlifting. When I was training that guys would, you know, lift up the weight and put it over their head. But yeah, that's great right now. But if you want to increase, then you have to do it with the proper technique and you can't do it that way. And they will continue. They will continue until they hit that wall. And again, that, that wall is absolutely necessary to see which path they're going to take, you know, either going to be left or right. And that's going to determine how much you know time I'm going to be spending with them. I like that, 
Gino, what are your thoughts? So this is one I've spent a lot of time with uh, because I did it completely wrong in the very beginning, um, especially with the kind of work that I do with folks um, dealing either with addiction, trauma, um, reassimilation, reacculturation, post-combat deployment, whatever the case may be. But what I'm constantly looking for now um, in a new relationship, in a new coaching and advisory capacity, right, is do their actions align with their intentions, right? So actions and intentions. If you come to me and you tell me that your intention is you want to overcome or you want to get to the next level of ascension and who you are as a human being to really squeeze as much juice out of the quality of life that you can, right? There's a very clear actionable plan that has to happen, right? And it starts with one task, right? And if you come to me in our second meeting and that one task is not complete or you didn't push yourself to the next level just based off of just the rawness of what you think you know, that that coaching relationship at that capacity at that moment in time is over. Right. And not not that it's harsh. Right. But it kind of is at the same time, because in my experience and in my opinion, especially with me serving in that capacity, but then also me having coaches in my life that coach me there. That's a sacred bond, man. Like truly like when you, a coach and an athlete or a coach and a client or whatever the case may be, the trust factor that exists there. Right. Like my coaches, they're pouring something they can never get back. Right. And that is their time. Right. And, and that is the energy, the life force that they have. They're giving me a piece of it. Right. And the least I can do is bring the grit, bring the passion to meet them halfway, because that's all they're asking me to show up with. That's it. They know that I don't have the expertise that they do. All I can give you is me right here and right now. And if you're not even willing to do that right from a self value and a self respect side of things, for me, I'm not going to pour my time right into you and try to convince you. I did that in the very beginning of my career, right? And it was an abysmal failure, right? I tried because I, I wanted to save the world, man. I, as many people as I can work with, I'm there. Like, I will go the extra mile to meet you more than halfway. And the results weren't there. It didn't happen. They weren't ready. The timing wasn't right. Timing matters, right? People's lives. And if they're not at a place where they're truly devoted to the commitment that's needed, to take that next step, to take that leap of faith, to be completely open and humble to what it is that that coach is saying, it's a waste of time, right? And and maybe it is a dose of failure that you are delivering to them that they need at that moment in time so they can hit that rock bottom to become broken, to then be able to look up and say, ah, I get it. And it may be a week, two years, three years, who knows? You may not even be the person for them. But I think that there's, that's a very, it's a very special relationship between coach and client and what exists there and the walls um, that have to be very clearly understood, uh, as well as the boundaries that have to be set. Mm. Absolutely. Sean, I saw you giggling a second ago. You got yeah, because I did the same thing. I, I mean, Doc, I totally get it. I did the exact same thing with uh, the early parts of my coaching career. And uh, I was trying to coach and babysit. I was trying to babysit passion into people. I was trying to babysit the stuff that they didn't want to do, that they could do, that was then offloaded to me to do for them. And, and, but my job is a coach. My, my job is not to be their parent or their spouse or their best friend. Now I can't be their spouse for sure. I'm already married, uh, but I can over time become a good friend. I don't know if I'll ever become their best friend, but I won't, I won't focus on being their friend on day one. I'll focus on being their coach. And that is a that that's a really tricky situation. If you really care about being a good coach, you've got to create a firewall between the care and the coaching initially. Care care is something that will start to deepen over time uh, as a coach in that relationship over the years. Uh, I don't think. I, for me, anyway, I'll just say that I made a mistake by coming in too heavy with care on day one. Uh, and, and it took me a while to realize that care builds over time, deepens over time, gets richer over time. Uh, for the athletes that I worked with for like a decade, I mean, I consider them as some of my best friends. But on day one, they were, quote unquote, just an athlete, because at that point, uh, I had already come to the realization that I cannot care so much for the person on day one that I lose sight of the fact that I'm their coach, not their best friend. Yeah. Alan, you got any uh, thoughts to add on to that? 
Um, I think we all made that mistake. Um, and I think that's just part of the journey itself. You know, you're going to go through that because, you know, you know what it's like to, to go through what they're going through and you want to, you know, sympathize with them and befriend them, you know, like try to, you know, bridge that gap of, you know, Hey, I'm here with you. I'm here for you. And I think we all get that point where we get kind of carried away with that. And it, it becomes like trying to develop a friendship, but at the same time, you're trying to be strict in, you know, in the methods that they, they perform and, and how they perform. And so it's a, I think it has to go through that way um, to be effective and an experienced coach having to go through that because those are the same lessons that you carry on later on. Yeah, do, do you know the interesting thing though, uh, I'll say this, when I was a junior non-commissioned officer in the military, I, I ran my program the way I ran it. And then when I got uh, promoted into senior non-commissioned officer, there was a phase there between junior and senior non-commissioned officer where I was really uncomfortable because I wanted to hang out with the troops and I, that's where I felt the best. And then as I transitioned over into senior NCO, you're not expected to or quote unquote allowed to communicate with the troops in the way that you were when you were a junior NCO. So that phase in between the two, I struggled with that because my buddies were my buddies and I was tight with them and I loved that lifestyle and that's where I wanted to be in the trenches and all of that good stuff. And so separating yourself from that being best friends with the people that you're working with versus leading or commanding or controlling the those same people is is a matter of rank in the military to some degree, of course, experience, but rank will take you to that position where you're, you just can't be so buddy, buddy, but that's kind of what you got to do in coaching as well. To some degree, you got to move through that early phases of figuring it out. And then there's that uncomfortable middle ground, I believe, where you're trying to separate coaching from friendship. And then eventually you might find yourself clearly understanding what coaching is. At least that's the way I see it for myself now. Um, Alan or Gino got anything to add to that? No. Okay. Um, now I have another question, uh, from the panel for the panel here, but I want to just touch on this really quickly. I think you might've touched on it, but would you allow your athlete or your client or something like that to fail hard? <laughs> and the reason I'm asking this is like, would you, would you try to steer them a little bit? into the failure almost yes. of like absolutely <laughs> you're gonna like yeah that's my answer i don't need to add anything more i'm sure alan okay. and the doc will add more but for me it's yes every time alan um yes to an extent to where it doesn't cause like severe injury mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that, that that's that's the limit on that though if it's and so i'll drive a point home to make sure like that because like for me, learning when you triangle, you hook on someone's leg, you know, was a lesson learned from fracturing my spine. So I do not want ever, anyone ever to have to go through that. So I will drive that point home. But I, I agree with Sean wholeheartedly. Yes, but I do have a limit, especially in this sport to where, you know, it, it could take you out of the sport permanently. Um, and it, it is something that that's higher probability than than a lot of other sports and because the intent is to either put someone unconscious or you know snap their arm or their shoulder it with control but in competition that control is way different than training and people go all out on that so yes unless it gets to that point where if they're doing something so drastically wrong that it's going to cause them severe injury, then I'll stop what they're doing and just, you know, Hey, this is the reason why. And I'll drive that point home till they, till they, they get it. Or, well, I never had any alternative to that. They're, they're, they will get it and I'll drive that and they'll keep working on that until it's avoided. Okay. Gino, what do you think? I think for me, it's, um, Parallel, a little bit different in the same sense. Um, a lot of times when I am working with folks, we're in a consistent game, right, of mental chess. 
right? And, and it's steering the conversation to get them to reach certain places where they have their own realizations of certain things. Within that, they have to hit walls. You have to encourage them to see something that they don't necessarily see, but they have to take the leap of faith within to do that. Now, to get there, there's a lot of challenge, and with that challenge comes failure. On that same stretch, with the kind of work that that I do, right, on the mental optimization side and the brain optimization side, a lot of times it's folks, the idea of catastrophic failure means repercussions there's no coming back from, right? You're talking substance abuse, addiction, suicide, that sort of a thing. So no, 110%. If I had any inclination, right, that they're getting to that point, um, pull the reins back and then get the appropriate people involved. Um, that's because that's not an option. That, that doesn't exist with, with what I do. And tall tail signs are there. On the same notion, though, um, nothing motivates, right? Like like that sting, like that burn, right, Sean? Like you were talking about, it just <laughs> burned your ass, man, right? And so you're dialing Still back. Still burning. <laughs> and when it comes to this idea of ascending to a new level of understanding, to a different perspective of life and the, the quality of life that someone has, yeah, 100%, man, I want you to hit those walls. I want you to look back retrospectively and realize, man, I did that wrong. And I need you to feel that burn. I need you to feel that sting. That way you can grow from it. But there's varying degrees, right? And so, yeah, up to a point, absolutely, right? But there is a certain point that uh, absolutely not. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Any further thoughts on that? Do I need so to far? add granularity that I haven't ever asked anyone to go so hard that they're going to die? I've never asked anyone to do that. <laughs> but I do push the pace. And uh, to Doc G's uh, point, it, uh, I don't want to be so cavalier that I just throw out my yes and then uh, not add anything more to it. The psychological aspect of being a coach and pushing someone hard enough, but not too hard is important, which is an entirely different hour long conversation, I think, uh, on the subject of how hard or not you can push someone psychologically over a brief period or over an extended period of time. In fact, I made a post this morning on my IG about uh, consistency and frequency uh, equals reliability to some degree. And so uh, if you're pushing someone consistently um, uh, in a way, then you're going to create a certain product. If you're pushing uh, infrequently and you're pushing at a 47 out of 10 that one time and they're not prepared for it, obviously their, their physiological state might, um, might <laughs> last, but their mind might not last in the way that I want it to last as it's as a positive outcome. And so the psychological aspect is fraught with danger as a coach, if you don't truly consider what you're doing. And by that, I mean, if you're a new coach, you just can't move that ball into all the corners of the room and think that that's cool. You've got to like move the ball in the center of the room initially as a beginning coach. But as you get more and more experience, you can figure out how much in that playground you can uh, play with someone's mind. And that's a really weird term to uh, throw out there, playing with someone's mind. But as a coach, that's kind of what you're doing. You're not treating it like a toy. You're treating it with the due care and attention that it deserves, but you're playing with someone's mind to some degree. So I'm gonna have to call you out, Sean. I, Good. And Good, I threw it so, out there so that we could so, get into this. <laughs> And I know you've been through, with as many years as coaching, I'm sure you've had this experience in some degree, some likeliness to it, that an athlete comes to you, you're like, okay, you have one more lap, they complete that lap, you notice they're not sweating, you know, it's like freaking hot, they're already dehydrated, and they're like, no, coach, I got another, I got another, I got this. And you realize that they're about, you're, they're, they're experiencing heat exhaustion, about to do a heat stroke, you're going to say, no, you're done. You're not going to let them hit that failure, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. And it goes back to your point of um, my job as an experienced coach is to understand how much I can push their mind because their body will go where their mind wants them to go. And so I've got to be cautious in either slapping that horse with the reins or reining it in. And to your point, as you said, and, and that's kind of why I added this granularity, is it's our job to push, but safely. And so as an inexperienced coach, if you're listening to what we're talking about, thinking, I just got to push my athletes. I just got to push them. You can only push them as far as you understand how to push safely. But if you've been coaching for a long, long time, you can understand how to push them in a larger way, but safely. And and I, 
I'll never cross that line. In fact, I think we said it just uh, in the other uh, live podcast the other day that as as my first career taught me, safety, security, command and control of my men has is paramount. Mission has priority, my men have priority, period. And so uh, it these are things that are immutable. You cannot uh, you cannot break this rule of pushing someone so hard as a coach that you're breaking them in an unsafe way. And what does unsafe mean? That's for you as a coach out there to realize what your experience level is. And if you don't understand your responsibilities of how you can kind of break a human being in a negative way, sit down and start talking with an experienced coach and realizing that coaching is kind of fraught with danger. If you're not thinking about this in the sense of who you're working for, you're working for the other human. You're not working for yourself and your ego wanting to, I don't know, flare out and, and mess with someone's head. It's a real uh, responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. Gino, so thanks anything? for asking that, Alan. Yeah. Do you know you got anything to add? No, no, that was great, man. That was great. Okay, perfect. Um, now I have <clears throat> a couple of questions here uh, from the panel that are watching right now. Carl says, uh, KH says, how do you overcome trust issues with a client? Now I asked him to elaborate on this and he says, if the individual has had horrible experiences with coaches and they have a hard time trusting new coaches or coaches in general. Gino, I'm going to come to you first. What do you think? I've dealt with this one quite a bit. Um, like anything, right? There are, there's, there's great coaches and there's horrific coaches. I wouldn't even call them a coach. So how do you overcome that? Like anything else, right? When it comes to building trust in any relationship, right? Consistency matters. The brain doesn't like ambiguity. It doesn't like surprises, right? And so being able to be transparent and authentic and put it out there. This is me and this is who I'm going to be every single time. Now it's your choice, right? If, if you want to come, you're going to continue to get what it is that you see. It is not my job to influence you or sell you, right, on me being your coach. And that's where I think a lot of people drop the ball. My job and my capacity is not to sell you on me. If you're here, it's because you want to be here and you have the right intention to be here. If you're not, then you're not ready. And whether that's trust issues or other things that are going on in your life, it is not my job to perpetuate that and push that forward. Now, with that being said, does it mean that you abandon them? No, right? But it's very easy to have that conversation with them and say, look, if you want to have some additional time to converse, if you have some questions that you'd like for me to answer, if you want to try a couple of sessions with me, all right, fine, that's wonderful. I'm not going to put you on a long-term trajectory just yet. And if you don't feel comfortable with it, when you do feel comfortable, you let me know. But a lot of times in these situations, less is more. And the more you push, right, the more it starts to feel like someone who's selling snake oil, right? And that's not a genuine authentic coach. You hit the nail on the head, right? You're working for them. I'm here to serve you, not serve myself. But at the same token, there's a very clear understanding that what I am bringing of value has meaning to you, right? And your time, your energy, your commitment, grit and passion has meaning to me, right? So let's walk the path together. If that's not there, ain't going to work. Yeah, absolutely. Alan, what do you think? Um, so my experience, a lot of the things, um, that people have had, you know, horrible experience with previous coaches, um, when they come to you and, and they try to develop that relationship or, you know, especially first time their bad experience is the center, but what was the cause and always try to find that out because that usually, um, allows the apprehension to fade away. Once you kind of like, for example, I had, um, some people that came in. It was a couple that were working out another box and um, one of them wanted to work out. The other one didn't want to work out. And the reason why is because they hurt their shoulder at the last one doing, doing a snatch. So I just kind of asked them briefly, you know, well, how did you build up to that? And they were like, looked at each other. Like, what do you mean? There was no buildup. There was just go in there. I was like, there's the problem. So kind of like talk to them about, you know, the way that I do it. And if they want to accept that, then, they're welcome to come in, but I'm very much the same mentality as, as Gino. I'm not here to sell you on it. I can tell you where we're wrong and the, the difference between the way I coach and the way someone else coaches, um, or the differences between the two, but I'm not here to sell you on it. If you're here for my time, then you have to trust me on that and we'll develop that trust and we'll develop that, that comfort level 
between the two of us with small victories. So these little things that you can build on, okay, you good with that? All right, we're moving to the next level. You good with this? Good, we'll move on. But it's sometimes you got to take a little bit more patience to kind of build someone up because it's not necessarily they don't trust you. They don't trust the process itself because the last process did not work. I like that. Sean? Mm, I agree with uh, Doc G and Alan. Uh, They nailed it on the head as a combined answer. The only thing I can add to that is uh, when athletes would approach me or anyone who wants to be coached, I'll ask them, have you ever been coached before? You have? Okay. What did you like and what didn't you like? And based on that answer, I'll know whether I'll be able to coach them or not. If their answer is, well, my my last coach was kind of hard on me. I had six sessions that I'd have to train per week and sometimes I'd only do two. All right, I've got a I've got another coach in mind for you. And so, you know, depending on what the individual comes with and the things that they did and didn't like in their previous coaching environment, then I'll figure it out real quick. And so what, as Alan said, and I really like that answer, you know, when when you figure out where the disconnect was between the previous coach and you as a coach or me as a coach, it's typically the process, not the personality. Now, personalities can get in the mix, of course, as a coach, but it's the process that typically fails the athlete in their previous coaching environment. And I know my process is pretty good. It might not be the best in the world, but it produces results that athletes are happy with who engage with me. And so um, my process is time-tested, pressure-tested. Perhaps those other coaches' processes were time-tested, pressure-tested, but not for the individual who's showing up at my front doorstep to say, that didn't work. Can you work? And so it's the process that is the focus, not the personality. Again, even though that has some to play with it. Yeah, absolutely. Now I have, I have one more question here, but I think it'll take too long to actually engage right now. So I'm going to save that one for tomorrow. Um, I do want to, I just want to say thank you guys so much, Gino, Alan, great, great conversation today. Lots of really solid points on not only on failure, but on all kinds of things. So uh, I just want to say thank you guys so much. And to all the the people watching, awesome comments, awesome questions. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll keep going on that one. So let's dive into some final thoughts and then we will, uh, killer for today. Alan, I'm going to start with you. What do you think? Final thoughts, man. Um, I think one great answer would combine, you know, from all three of us, um, including the, you know, just the process of itself, understanding the, the person, the cause of the, mm-hmm. instead of the symptoms and there are some times where, you know, it's just not going to work out. And it's not like a, a bad thing. It's just, you know, it, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, guys at selection that would fail, like, hey, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. You'd probably be a great doctor somewhere. Or you might make a great lawyer. It just right here just ain't good for you. You know, so it's kind of the same same mentality I take in this as well as, you know, it doesn't make you a bad person. It's just you and I are just going to work out. And that's all there is. And I'm, I'm, I don't say that in a condescending manner. I don't say that in a, and just saying, this is the way that I do things. And, and if it doesn't drive with what you're wanting to do, then it's no problem. You know, I got no problem with that. And I wish you the best. I'll give you coordinates to the next place. So, you know, you can go and try out. doesn't matter, but I have a group of athletes that are into that process. I'm not going to take my time away to try to convince you of it. Um, while we're actually doing it. So either you accept it, we go through it and you, at least you give it that chance, you know, and most of the time it turns into long-term, but there are some times where you just got to cut sling load as well, you know? So, Hey, we gave it a shot. You know, you're not showing up. These are the very minimum things that I'm requiring of you. Hey, it's not a problem. It doesn't make you a bad person. It just doesn't make you right here. Yeah. Gino, final thoughts. You know, I would tell anyone who is currently a coach or looking to become a coach in any capacity, right? Uh, one of the, the cardinal things that I see happen a lot with anyone who lives a life in service to the betterment of others is the idea of getting drained, right? So parting thoughts would be in the process and the journey of nurturing others, do not, do not neglect and nurturing yourself, right? 
sharpen your sword every single day. Your sword, not for other people, but for you, right? Your acumen, your ability to, to have the right amount of energy, the right amount of sustenance at a physical, mental, spiritual, and social level. You've got to stay, right? in the fight because if you keep teaching others how to fight and at some point you neglect your own training you're not going to be fit for the fight and the fight's not going anywhere right and so do not forget do not neglect um nurturing yourself that that that, that would be the, the the final thoughts for today man Raj. sean i think the final comment though real quick oh. Sure. Is how perfect Gino's hair is always right. is. <laughs> Dude, what I mean, are you talking about? Look, have you seen your head? Much. Look at your head. Hey, what the heck? I'm, I mean, I left, seriously. I watched you take your hat off, and I was like, oh no, he just did that. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy, perfect <laughs> hair. <laughs> yeah. One of my uh, one of my first uh, section, my actual my first section commander was very similar. He'd go on like a fourteen hour patrol, and he'd come back, he'd take his helmet off, and his hair would be perfect so yeah you guys, you guys tom cruise hair bit. nice oh yeah it's perfect uh sean final thoughts mm, yeah i think uh, it's already been said uh, by the guests and uh, being said better than i can so i'll just quickly reiterate the coaching is a responsibility not just for you to learn how to live a better life uh, through others but it's a responsibility to make their lives better for it don't uh, underestimate the importance or the responsibility, as it were. Uh, we're all trying to make other people better as coaches. And as Doc said, uh, we've got to make sure that we're keeping ourselves better for them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <clears throat> well, uh, I really do, again, appreciate the conversation, uh, Alan and Doc G, we're going to have you on anytime we possibly can. So I'm going to keep bugging you guys. And uh, Gino, did your uh, did you have your baby yet? Is that yeah, out? man. Out? Friggin' standing. Congratulations. Oh, congratulations. Uh, thank you, gents. I appreciate it. It's uh, It's been beautiful. It's been wonderful. And sleepless nights are awesome. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say, he's Adversity. held a really good conversation. <laughs> <laughs> being just totally sleep deprived. It's fantastic. So, again, I really appreciate it. It's been a great convo. And I think, you know, as this is something that I've been learning over the last little while, you know, just the understanding how to fail is such a big one. You know, as you learn how to fail, that allows you to build upon uh, the ability and the, the sting in, in and of itself, which allows you to grow into the person that you're meant to be. And you can do that with us every day here on The Collective. We'll see you all tomorrow. Chimo. Chimo. Later, guys.